are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Ah, that music gives me all the feels. Takes me back to the 80s. And speaking of the 80s, Top Gun comes out this week. And so if you're going to watch that movie, watch it here at Spotlight Cinema. Uh, If you're an 80s nerd like myself. But... um, Yeah, I'm excited for those of you, again, that are joining us for the very first time. Um, We are in the middle of a series titled, Who Are the People in Your Neighborhood? Okay, there are a lot of hoods uh, represented in the Bible. And we kick this series off by talking about motherhood. um, Because there ain't no hood like motherhood. Amen? All the ladies, yeah. Uh, And then we dove into servanthood. And we're actually going to extend servanthood into this week because I think it's such a... It's such a broad topic, and if you really boil down all of the the Gospels and and the New Testament, it really is that we have called, God has called us to lay our lives down just as Jesus did for this world. We're called to be salt and light in the world, but not of the world, and so servanthood is such a big subject. I felt like we needed to kind of extend it into this week, and then we're going to talk about brotherhood, sisterhood, and we're going to end on Father's Day, which... Mental reminder, Father's Day is coming up, so make sure you get that ugly tie or that uh, gift certificate to Bass Pro Shop. Uh, it is coming up, and we'll end uh, somewhere there. And so this is an extension of last week. Last week we talked about, um, I opened up with the famous uh, saying, everybody wants to serve until they get treated like a servant. And that hits home because it really exposes that there's something inside of us that like, I don't mind serving, but I want to serve on my terms, right? I want to serve when it's convenient for me. I want to serve when I'm in the mood. I want to serve when I have the feeling to serve, but not outside of that. It's like a whim when you feel like having a chocolate shake, then you go get a chocolate shake, right? But serving doesn't work like that. It's actually a lifestyle that God has called us to, and could I even say commanded us to? Okay, uh, and so we must lean into this revelation of what it truly means to be a servant um, in this world. And so I think if I had to title this uh, message, I would title it, Don't Swerve the Serve. Okay, so don't swerve the serve. This is something that we've all been called into. I'm going to open up with Ephesians 2.10. I'm going to have all these scriptures on the screen, so you can go ahead and take a picture or write it down, or you can turn in your physical Bible, which, by the way, just out of curiosity, who has a paper Bible with them? I'm like, yeah, I know. I love that. Absolutely. I study with a, with a, pa- with a paper Bible. Um, it's okay to have this because you have all these concordances and everything, but I was just curious. Back in the day when I was started going to church, cut my teeth, so to speak. Um, You used to have to wait for the minister to flip to that certain scripture. And then you had to wait for him to flip to the other scripture. He'd always say like, he or she would always say, "Um, let me know when you're there. And that was by just eliminating that and throwing the scriptures on the board, we probably cut out seven to 14 minutes of just people searching. But it was really good though, because everybody had to know where specific books in the Bible were. So I don't know. They're both good. But anyway... I digress. Back to Ephesians 2.10. And the Bible says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Everybody say, to do. 
we were created in Christ Jesus to do something. And God prepared that something in advance for us to do. So I know many ministers and you know, ministers that I follow have said, well, we're, we were created to be human beings, not human doings. And that's absolutely true. You can get lost in doing things and almost trying to like work, work for your salvation. And that is not in scripture at all. However, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so faith without works is that's right. So God has created these works. He actually prepared them in advance for us to walk in. So it's important for us to understand that. Now I'm going to use the same exact scripture. This is out of the NIV. And I'm going to read it to you out of the ESV because there's something that they put the, the authors of the ESV put an emphasis on that I want to highlight. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. For we, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice it doesn't say that we would walk in them. So that is entirely up to us. That has to do with our will. Do, are we going to exercise our will to walk in those good works? Because again, we're not slaves, but we have the opportunity to be servants. And so a slave would have to walk in those, right? Because the master would, 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 would force them to. But God has given us the opportunity to be able to willfully step into this service that he's called us to, to be salt and light. Have you ever taken the time we always, we always, you know, look at from every angle, the faith we have in God it is the cornerstone of our faith, right? You can't receive anything in scripture without faith. And so that is a subject certainly worth studying. But have you ever taken the time to think about how much faith God has in you? Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we know that God's heart is that none should perish, but all have eternal life. So in God's plan to reach every soul on this planet, he has chosen in his infinite wisdom to limit himself, according to natural standards, to our obedience. He has faith that we're going to step beyond ourselves that we're going to lean into the spirit, that we're going to study his word, and that we're going to be obedient to walk it out. If God had a love language, it would certainly be faith. But take the time to think about how much faith God has in you. In fact, you can even take it a step further that God went all in on you before you even ever gave him any attention at all. And the lowest that you'll ever find yourself in, which I hope for everybody in this room that that's behind you in your rearview mirror. God saw that moment, that disgusting moment that you don't want to tell anybody else about. And he still said, I'm going all in on that one individual. That's how much he loves you, but also that's how much he believes in you. All right. Those are good words. Okay. But if we break this down, Okay, Psalm 11.2 says this, serve the Lord with gladness. So I think sometimes when we hear that word serve or they're asking for volunteers, I know it's definitely coming from the military. I would always like, oh man, they're asking for somebody to volunteer because you never got, 
rewarded for any of that. It was always extra duty. That always, always kind of like tinge and like tense up because I didn't want, I, I knew the ask was coming. But the Bible is literally flipping this and say, you should actually be glad. You should actually experience joy in your serving. Okay, but if we look at serving and sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know, that's going to eat up my weekend, that's going to take my Monday night, then we're not seeing serving the way that God is seeing it. So we need to align ourselves with the way that the kingdom sees it because we're missing something. That's not to heap judgment on you. That's not to heap shame on you or to condemn you. It's just an indicator that, hey, wait a minute. I'm not seeing this the way that God's seeing this. So I need to lean into this truth a little bit more. And I need to open up my faith because you know what? I don't think I have the full revelation of what serving means to me and to God. Because God is saying that we can approach serving with gladness. And I'm going to go on to share some other scriptures that actually talks about how we experience joy. High joy levels when we step into this role. But have you ever thought about, like, we serve God with, how can we serve God with gladness? Um, because here's something to think about. When God asks us to serve, it's not out of a need that he has because God doesn't need anything. So when we, so, okay, but God's asking me to serve, but God doesn't have any needs. Sounds like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, Pastor Matt, but I'm not. Hear what I'm about to say. So God has no needs, but God's asking us to serve. So why is God asking us to serve? Because it meets our needs. Well, how, right? How can serving you, someone else, meet my needs. How can giving up Saturday night meet my needs and emptying a U-Haul truck? You're going to tell me, Pastor Matt, that me giving up my Saturday night and emptying somebody's U-Haul truck is meeting my needs. And yes, that is exactly what I'm going to tell you. And so if you can't see that right now, you're in the right place at the right time for the right reason. All right? John 15, 13 says this, there is no greater love than this than to lay one's life down for one's brother. I probably said it, quoted from a different scripture, but it's essentially the same thing, okay? I've shared this many times. It's one of my favorite revelations that the Lord has given me, but when we read that scripture, okay, we think of Memorial Day, which is coming up. We think of the men and women that sacrificially have given their lives for our freedom right? That have served in the military, that have perhaps jumped on a grenade to protect their friends um, you know, and protect their platoon, or have given up their lives dragging a wounded uh, warrior through to get him into protection and end up losing their life. And I certainly believe that that scripture applies to that scenario. However, I think sometimes we miss it and absolve the revelation of that scripture to our own personal lives when we take it to the zenith of what it means. Meaning that it also applies to our everyday life of giving up our Saturday evening to help somebody unload their U-Haul truck or help somebody mow their lawn or help somebody, the, the list is endless. Okay, Alistair Beggs said this once, it's impossible to serve God without serving one another. Because I know a lot of people inside the four walls of the church 
And they're all gung-ho about God. They love God. I've given my life for God. But they struggle and wrestle and have a hard time with serving one another. But that is how we serve God. And so those two things must be reconciled. And there's no greater example of that than the Good Samaritan, right? There was a man who was traveling down a road, who was beaten within inches of his life, who was stripped and robbed, naked, laying on the side of the road. And the next morning, a priest got up on his way to the temple, on his way to do the Lord's work. And when he saw that man who had a need, what did he do? He walked over to the other side of the road and he kept on moving. And then a Levite came. He did the same thing. And then a Samaritan came and he had pity on the man. And he took him in and he bandaged his wounds and he clothed him and he fed him and he brought him to an inn, right? We know this story. And he told the innkeeper, here's the money. Take care of this man. And you know what? If he needs to stay even longer, let him stay. For the next time I come around back in this city, I will pay you for that. And then Jesus used this as an illustration to the Pharisees and basically said, who is a neighbor to this man? And he said, the Samaritan. And he said, go and do likewise. So us serving God is helping the man that was robbed, stripped, naked, left for dead on the side of the road. Not going to the temple to get all dressed up to preach a sermon. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, 1 Peter 4.10 says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Okay, so each one of us should use the gift that God has given us. Okay, I want everybody to raise their hand right now. You have a gift. You can raise your hand. <laughs> I just needed to figure out some way to have you participate. You have a gift. You may not know what that gift is, but the Bible says that God has given you a gift. And that gift that you have, guess what? I really need that gift. My wife really needs that gift. The person sitting next to you really needs that gift. The body of Christ needs that gift. And it says, you have received to serve others. That's what it's there for as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. I want to talk about this word grace because a lot of times we use it. We're about to pray over our food, right? Or a lot of times it's thrown around. It's like one of those words, holiness, uh, righteousness. And it gets thrown around in the body of Christ. It gets, it gets put into some of our songs and we sing it. But when you actually ask people, what does this word mean? You'll get a myriad of different definitions. So I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we truly understand what God's grace is, because I think sometimes it becomes verbal filler. And nobody does verbal filler better than the church. You know what I mean? The church has like its own language, okay? So if you're coming from the world into the church, it takes you a while just to catch up with the way church people talk, because they have all of these verbal fillers. So we're going to define this word because this word is very, very important to the believer. So, 
so grace is God's unmerited favor. It is salvation. It is the forgiveness of sins. That is absolutely true. And truth be told, that is how most people would define God's grace. But here's where I think many people miss it. It goes on to explain God's grace as his divine empowerment. Okay? And God defines his grace as such in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, my grace is all you need for my power works best in your weakness. So you see that grace and power in this context, God is using as the same thing, right? Nod your head if you, if you see that. So God's grace takes us beyond our natural ability so that we can fulfill what he's called us to accomplish. So in other words, you can't take um, credit for what God is doing in your life because it's what God is doing. So God gets all the glory. And it also protects you from pride puffing up in your heart thinking I'm all that because I'm very intelligent or I'm really gifted or I'm ridiculously, ridiculously good looking. Okay, no, it's God's grace. It's his charisma on your life. It's a gift that he gave you. Now, are you going to use it to profit yourself or are you going to use it to serve others? And I'll say this, that God gives you a grace. He gives you a charisma. And it's not wrong to go into the medical field to help people, okay? I'm not saying that you shouldn't go into or become an artist and sell your paintings. What I'm saying is, are you utilizing that platform that God has given you as you excavate that gift and that grace to point people to Jesus? Or are you making it all about you? I think a good example of this is often, you know, I'm just going to use it. We see athletes and there are some athletes that all they want to do is talk about themselves, right? And then we see these other selfless athletes and they're up there and they're almost tears in their eyes and, and, and they're talking about God has given me this talent and I want to utilize, you know, I, I just use it because everybody knows them, like Tim Tebow. I feel like Tim Tito did a phenomenal job of pointing people to Jesus, of never taking the praise or the credit and just deflecting it to Jesus and saying, this, look, God has given me this and I'm going to utilize this platform to point people to you. So I want to make that distinction. It's not that, well, now that I'm a Christian, I only can use this gift exclusively for the church and at the church. No, God given, has given you that gift to make a living, to make a career, but to utilize that success of that platform and that career to point people to Jesus. Does that make sense? Raise your hand if, you, if that makes sense. Okay. So God refers to his grace as his empowerment. It's the power at work um, in us that takes us beyond our natural ability. Ephesians 3.20 through 21. This is out of the ESV. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and ever. So God can do far more than we can ask, think, or imagine through his power working through us, which is his grace that we receive by faith. So you may be sitting here right now and you have no clue 
what you are good at, but I am here to tell you that you are good at something. And the answer to find out what that something in is, is to press into the Lord who wants more than anyone to see you flourish and succeed in that gift. Why? Because he's the one that gave it. And he wants to see you flourish in it, but also he knows that there's people inside of your sphere that need it. And remember, God went all in on you and he went all in on them as well. And so we all must be operating in our gifts so that we can flourish as a church and get the attention of the world, not to look at us and, oh, the Pines Church is so great, but to deflect that glory to the Lord and to be able to give him the praise. Because the gift gets us the audience. And once we have the audience, we can point people to Jesus. And then we they found themselves in a situation. Wait a minute. How did you smuggle Jesus into this equation? Because Jesus is always at the forefront of everything that is happening in your life, but people's eyes are darkened and they're deceived and they don't know that they're deceived, so they can't see it. That's good, man. It's so good. Okay, so this is a really good scripture and and I want to make sure I take the time to read it all and I also see the time, so let's go through it. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. Okay, there's so much in here and I would encourage you if you do one, do me one favor, highlight this scripture and go read it for yourself. It is so packed. I could preach for the next five weeks on this scripture and probably not even scratch the surface. There is so much in this scripture, but I'm going to go ahead and read through it. There is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. We were all baptized by one Holy Spirit, and so we are formed into one body. It didn't matter whether we were Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free people. We were all given the same spirit to drink. So the body is not made up of just one part, but it has many parts. Now suppose the foot says, I am not a hand, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. And suppose the ears, and I have big ones, say, I am not an eye, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? You ever covet somebody else's gift? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? Have you ever tried to copy somebody else's gift? God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. If all the parts were the same, how could there be a body? As it is, there are many parts but there is only one body. Man, there's a central theme. I feel like he's trying to communicate here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it's just the opposite. 
the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones that we can't do without. The parts that we think are less important, we treat with special honor. The private parts aren't shown, but they're treated with special care. The parts that can be shown don't need special care. But God has put together all the parts, shoulders, knees, and toes, of the body, and he has given more honor to the parts that didn't have any in here. In that way, the parts of the body will not take sides. All of them will take care of one another. All of them will take care of one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part shares in its joy. You are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. I know that the Holy Spirit just downloaded like a trillion million things in each and every single one of your hearts. I know that he downloaded something in mine. But we cannot grow as a church. We cannot take ground for the kingdom until we get this revelation right. We can point fingers all day long at our broken political system, right, left, in the middle, all of it. And it's all problematic. But you know what? My Bible says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And so what are they looking at when we have denominations that will not work together? I've always said that I believe it grieves the heart of God so much when you have one church on one side of the street and another church on the other, same boss, same work, and they don't know each other and they're not working together. We need all of the parts to function. Now, I want to talk about that because sometimes in the church, I think we get it twisted. We look at worship and we say, oh, there's such a special anointing on the worship. And there is an anointing on the worship. Or we look at the mouth and we say, oh, you know, Pastor Matt, he's like, you know, he's so great. I don't know if any of you actually say that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but and it says to give honor. But I think sometimes we make the mistake and we devalue the parts that are even more important. Because I can see worship, right? And I can see the person delivering the world, but there are parts at play that you don't see that show up every single Sunday morning and that stay every single Sunday afternoon and, and balance spreadsheets during the week to make sure that we are functioning as a body, as a healthy body. But sometimes we put the attention on the parts that we see, right? Almost to the detriment of the parts that we don't see. Let me give you an example. When I first noticed Jess, I was a single dude. Okay. And I noticed Jess, I'm just going to be straight up because I'm a guy, right? I noticed her legs, right? She has beautiful legs, man. She's gorgeous legs. And it just got my attention. Okay. Not a weird, like take it to some bad place, but like guys like girls like she was beautiful. And I, I had noticed her legs, her legs, her legs got my honor and they got my attention. Okay. And I've complimented her on her legs throughout time, but you know what? She can actually live without her legs. But you know what I've never complimented her on? Her liver. <laughs> I've never leaned in for that intimate moment when the sun's going down and it's like, 
She's just waiting on bated breath to hear what I'm about to say because it's just going to woo her and make her melt and say, you have a beautiful liver. Because that sounds creepy. I've never said it. But she can't live without her liver. And I love Jess. What's more important to her? Or what's more important to me? Her liver is a heck of a lot more important to me than her legs. Because if she loses her liver, I lose her. And I don't ever want to lose her. But I don't, I don't value her liver the way that I value her legs. <laughs> so I'm a work in progress. And I'm going to somehow tie this into the church. But there are people, there are parts that we don't see that are essential to the church. That we need to give honor to. I am a guy, I'm a dude, I'm a dude working through this. My leader always used to say, when it talks about comparing, you know, like the eye, if the eye were to say to the ear, I'm going to be an ear today, I'm going to do all the hearing. You know, that would be absolutely foolish. But how many of us in the church sometimes want, desire, and covet somebody else's gift or role or function or part in the body of Christ. My leader used to say this, happy is the man that knows his gift and operates it, in it. Miserable in the, is the man who tries to operate in someone else's gift. When I, when I, when I share that with you, if the ear tried to be the eye, you, you're automatically like disconnect. You're like, this, well, I can't. That's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Of course your eye can't hear. But do you understand that that is precisely why he is using this analogy? So that we open our eyes to see what a waste of time it is to try to be the worship leader when you can't sing. Or try to work in accounting when you can't even read an Excel spreadsheet. It's just not in the cards for you. So rather than covet, and compare yourself and be jealous of someone else, press into scripture, press into God to discover what God has called you to do. And the best way to do that is by laying your life down and serving in the church. It's 1104 already? What the heck? What the heck, man? Okay, no, I'm not going to go too much longer. I am going to wrap this up, said every preacher. Yeah. Stay in your gift, Matt. Time is not it. Okay. Um, so in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, it says, all of them will take care of one another. We must take care of one another. We, we, we find a need and we fill it. We find a hurt and we heal it. It is our responsibility. And once we begin to exercise this, once we begin to step into this, once we receive the revelation that it is better to give than to receive and not just quote it as some kind of mantra over and over until it sinks from our heads into our hearts, but we actually receive it and we mean the words that are rolling off our tongue. No, it's better to give than to receive. I'm looking for opportunities to give. I'm looking for opportunities to receive because when God uses me to meet a need, I just feel like I'm floating, man. I feel like I'm on another stratosphere because I know that everything I need is met according to his riches and glory. God says that the righteous have never been forsaken. Their children never break, begging for 
bread. So God is going to meet my needs and therefore I am free because God is taking care of this to meet the needs of others. And by doing so, by losing my life, the Bible promises that I'll actually find it. What sense does that make in the natural? It makes absolutely no sense. But in the supernatural, it is the key to finding fulfillment and joy in this world. And once you experience the true joy of serving, then you'll never want to be served again. You'll be looking for opportunities to serve just like Jesus did. I was going to say I close with this. That'd be the third time I said it. <laughs> I'll close with this. Um, at the end of your life, when you hear those final words come from our master's lips, Jesus, he will not say, well done, good and faithful lawyer. Well done, good and faithful preacher. Well done, good and faithful teacher, evangelist, dentist, artist, rock star. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. This is the mandate on every single believer's life. Now, I want to get a little bit personal with you, okay? I'm sharing this because <clears throat> I want to just be transparent, raw, and super honest with you, okay? And just give you a peek behind the curtain of the church, which there shouldn't be a curtain anyway, but just give you an idea of, of what's going on in the church, okay? As a church, we have grown almost Sunday to Sunday. I don't have to tell you, you can see it. Some Sundays are dip because the weather's nice or whatever, but I mean, like, we're growing as a church, and that's an amazing thing. That's an extraordinary thing, especially since we set up and tear down. We're only here for a few hours, and then when you come in at two o'clock, there's no evidence that anybody had church service here, okay? So God is adding unto our number. Our tithes and offerings, people are giving, people are sowing in. We are able to actually um, increase the amount of money that we're giving both near and far to the different organizations that are helping through a myriad of um, single mothers to addiction to uh, combat sex trafficking, to getting discipleship resources, Bibles into the underground church in the Middle East, in China. Like we've been able to increase all those things. So we're doing well as a church. We're growing, we're healthy. People are giving their lives to the Lord. The children are learning about the Lord. People are getting baptized. So it's, it's very, very healthy. But there is a need at the church, and that is this, that it requires a tremendous amount of a volunteer base to set up and tear down to have church every single Sunday. And so I would want, I'm going to ask each and every single one of you to pray and to consider stepping up and, and joining our dream team to be able to help with that. Now, that may not just be the setting up and tearing down. That might be helping taking care of the books during the week, or that might be help uploading uh, things to social media. That's the beauty of it. Once you have that yes inside of your spirit to step out in faith and say, hey, you know what? I want to volunteer a little bit of our time. Then we go through the work of together excavating what it is you're good at, what that gifting is, and then being able to release you in that specific area. We have an amazing dream team and, you know, they show up every single Sunday and some of them have actually never been in service because they're serving in a different 
area. And so our heart, Jess and I's heart, and in, in, in all of the leadership of the Pines Church is to be able to set our dream team up in such a way that if somebody's leading children, um, the next week they'll be able to be in the main service. And then the next week they'll be able to be back in children. And then the next week that person will be able to be. And we're rotating people around. So no one's working, getting burned out. Nobody's working four, day, four Sundays a month. And no one's, we're not talking about eight hour time re uh, requirements. We're literally talking about, you know, a couple hours early, hour late. That, that, that's kind of where we're at right now. So there is a sign up, you know, all of these connection cards, if you've haven't filled one out, I encourage you to fill one out and we'll follow up with you, okay? And if you have filled one out, we have a uh, guest central as soon as you walk out of the auditorium today and Amy's gonna be manning that. And all you have to do is just go up there and say, hey Amy, I'd love to schedule a call, an email about maybe a way that I can get a little bit more involved or you know, right now I don't have the opportunity to come early but I can do some stuff from home. There's all kinds of things that need to be done. And please hear me when I say this. I'm not trying to put this on you. I'm really not. I'm trying to invite you into this because the church is, is like a narrow view. Our, the Pines Church is a narrow view of the needs of just this city and, and of the church. But as you scope out to a 30,000 foot view, okay, this is true of the entire church as a whole. And serving and walking in your charisma, your grace, your gift, isn't exclusively just at the church. It is out there on the streets, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, everywhere. And so I do want to make that distinction that it's not you just serve at the church and then you don't know. This is a lifestyle that God has called us to. Okay, cool. Everybody cool with that? I didn't, go, I didn't get too, uh, okay, good. I'm gonna pray over you if you wanna stand and then I'm gonna go ahead and release you. <laughs> I used to work at this ministry and when they fired somebody, they used to say they're releasing people into their calling. What <laughs> 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 is sad, <laughs> but it's funny too. Um, but I am gonna release you into your calling here in a second. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that we can read a scripture that maybe we've read a hundred times and Lord, you just open it up to us in a way that we've never seen it before. And I pray for those moments today throughout the message that you would expound upon those, that revelation, that each and every single person under the sound of my voice would go search those things out for themselves. But more importantly, God, that you would show them maybe an area that they can serve. Maybe it's on the worship team. Maybe it's in production. Maybe it's in hospitality. Maybe it's with children. Maybe it's in marketing, or maybe it's in some kind of creative space, or maybe it's in an area that we haven't even thought of yet, an outreach area. But Lord, I just pray that you would light that up, and it wouldn't feel like, oh, I guess I have to do this. There would be an excitement behind it. There would be a hope behind it that, wow, man, we can really take ground for the kingdom in this specific area if I get, you know, if I get signed up here to help and to use my charisma, to use my grace and to use my gifts. So Lord, I am praying that throughout the week, you would speak to each and every single one of us, showing us ways that we can get more involved, that we can do a better job of supporting the body so that we have full range and function of each of our members so that nothing can stop us from advancing the kingdom of heaven. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. 
We'd love to hear from you. So leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.